Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And welcome back to Overnight America. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. Uh, I'm trying to give a quick email to our guest because Patrick Murphy, who we were going to have on, is going to voicemail. So hopefully we can catch him here in a little bit. He's got a new book that just came out at the start of October called Candy Men, and it talks about the Schweitzer licorice and the candy, very well known here in the St. Louis region. It's a local book, of course, the history there. And I'm always interested in hearing about these local stories, so hopefully we'll be able to get them on the show. If not, we can uh, try again for another day. I wanted also to talk about, uh, what did we have time for? I don't know if you heard this at the start of the show. I, I did... It might have been a stretch of the imagination trying to connect Doc Emmerich and KMOX, but there is a indirect connection there, and it has to do with a broadcaster by the name of Bob Chase. If you missed that, the radio rewind link would be great for you to just go rewind about an hour to about 8.06 here tonight, and that would be great. Or maybe you're listening to this on the podcast, and it's already posted. Just go back and download the podcast there. I Let me give you a kind of an update of some other things that are going to be happening on the show. An hour from now, we're going to talk to Brock Pierce. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting one. Now, I don't know if you know about Brock Pierce, but he is a former child actor. He's been on a bunch of different movies, but, you know, he if you remember the old Mighty Ducks movies, he played the young Gordon Bombay. I think he's best known for First Kid. He was in that with Sinbad. <laughs> but, you know, you look at these things and you say, okay, he's a young Gordon Bombay when they do the flashbacks and that was Emilio Estevez's character. You know, and there he is shooting the puck and missing and getting yelled at and, you know, being scarred for life. He, he played in a bunch of other movies. So, uh, fast forward to today. Apparently, he invested in cryptocurrencies. He's made a lot of money in cryptocurrencies. And apparently, he's spending some of that money because he wants to run independently for the president of the United States. So he is making a run to be president here in 2020. So I thought this might be an interesting thing, mostly because when you hear about certain candidates that have, you know, people know Mighty Ducks, certainly they know that because it's part of pop culture history. But, you know, they're not really looking at him as a particular political candidate. So I thought, let's bring him on the show. I want him to plead his case. We can let him say whatever he wants. We can let him do his thing. And I'm going to just ask him, why do this? Because you know that there's no chance in all of it, right? Is it for fun? Is it why? Why even go through the motions of doing something like this? 
So that's um, Brock Pierce is going to join us in about an hour. A little bit later, too, I do want to talk about that story about Dr. Sam Page hustling for county council comments. And then when there's finally a vote saying that he's going to veto it, we've gone through some pretty tough times with Steve Stanger and the corruption and the abuse of power. A lot of things going on shady behind the scenes. I don't think the county council uh, is wrong to try to reel in and put some checks and balances on the county executive. And for the county executive to go and then say he's going to veto the checks and balances of his power, that's not a good look. And everyone should be very concerned. So we'll talk about that later in the show, too. New Yorker and CNN suspending Jeffrey Tubin. I don't know if CNN was a little bit more delicate with all of this when it came to the Jeffrey Tubin story. Now, he's the CNN media contributor or whatever. Um, he was trending as well. And if you haven't seen why, it's probably best not to. But the, the interesting thing is how CNN's handling this. They're like, he's requested to take some time off, and we've accepted that request, as if he did nothing wrong. So this is the reports that are coming out. He was on a Zoom conference call. They were talking about the election. They were doing different projections, things like that. And he started to, hmm, let me put it this way. Um, he, below the waist, playing with himself on the conference call. How terrible is that? So that's about it for Jeffrey Tubin. We're going to talk about him. Uh, and what's the latest with the laptop, Hunter Biden? There's a couple of the Department of Intelligence. John Ratcliffe had some comments on that. So we'll, we'll talk about that later in the show, too. Oh, look at that. Here he is. All right. Patrick Murphy, a local author. He's got a book called Candy Men. That's out now. You can go find that a couple of different places, local bookstores. Amazon has it, too. Hey, thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. The smell of licorice is uh, something I'm guessing you enjoy. I, I practically grew up on it. As a matter of fact, uh, licorice was sort of a basic food group around our house when I was a kid. It uh, it goes way back. I mean, it's kind of in our DNA. <laughs> I wonder the different types of licorice. A lot of people give black licorice, um, they, they ostracize it. They hate it. Uh, what about you? You know, people have kind of mixed feelings about it. I, I like the black licorice, but then when I was a kid, it was like all black, and then it was, lic uh, it was, uh, it was cherry and black, and now they're just all kinds of different, uh, different kinds of uh, you know, flavors, uh, uh, cherry cola, lemonade, uh, all kinds of things. But it's, it's, it's really developed over time. But, yeah, it was kind of a basic, uh, it was kind of a basic thing around our house, uh, and you talk about that smell. At one time, uh, the whole smell along the riverfront was all the smell of licorice. Back when the Switzer Licorice Company was right there alongside the Eads Bridge for like for for, yeah. for years, generations. Like my dad worked there, his dad, and his dad, my great grandfather. They all worked at the factory. The licorice factory is kind of it sounds like it's uh, fictional, right? Uh, just went went <laughs> down to the licorice factory and was hanging out there for a while. So your book, Candyman, kind of documents that, and your your families are kind of intertwined in that sense. How big was the factory, by the way, in its heyday? Well, I mean, it was it, it, at one time back in the 1950s. It was the major licorice producer uh, in America, and uh, you know, you think, well, how could that be? St. Louis, you know, and little factory by the by the east bridge producing all that licorice but uh it did it was a uh, uh the the company moved in there they had a couple of factories down where the arch is right now right between the legs yeah. of the arch but mm -hmm. in 1911 
they moved into the factory by the East Bridge and uh, were there through most of the 20th century. And uh, probably a lot of your listeners uh, remember that uh, in 2006, a big storm blew it down. And the next year they demolished it, 2007. But it was always sort of this landmark with the big painted candy bar on the south, you know, facing towards the arch. So it was always kind of a kind of a St. Louis landmark. That, the sign, and uh, and the smell. Yeah, uh, Switzer's. But, yeah, the uh, <laughs> history. It's amazing, really. You and what you, 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 go ahead. you mentioned the family connection. It, 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 it actually it starts back in Ireland during the potato famine. My great grandfather, his name was Joe Murphy. He was born in the 1840s in Ireland, in Dublin, and he worked in a candy shop. His family's candy shop in Dublin. And then he got involved in the Irish liberation movement, you know, to break away from England. And he was involved in an insurrection, a rebellion, and he got away. It was suppressed. He got away. But his name was on a list. And if the British found him, they were going to hang him. No. So he's 20 years old. Yep. <laughs> they did that back then. Uh, so uh, he came to America. You know, he got on a boat, came over in steerage, landed in New York, had nothing except he knew how to make candy from working in his in his family's candy store. Mm-hmm. So he eventually found his way to St. Louis, uh, moved to a really part, poor part of town. All the Irish back then in the 1870s, 80s, 90s, turn of the century, they all lived in a place just north of downtown called Cary Patch. It was just a horrible neighborhood, uh, all Irish, very, very poor. He met a young woman named Margaret Switzer, married her. She had a brother named Fred, and they started a candy company together. They started uh, cooking in uh, candy in my great-grandfather's kitchen, in his tenement, and uh, Fred Switzer was a born salesman, and he sold the candy on the streets of Cary Patch and down by the riverfront. And in the 1880s, <laughs> They moved into a factory, and uh, then they moved into another factory, and it, and it took off. They made all kinds of different candy, but they didn't make any licorice until oh, right before the First World War. But it was just a division of the plant. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a licorice company. It was a, a candy company. They made gum and chocolate and caramels and things like that. But during World War II, there was a sugar rationing. And so they couldn't make the chocolate stuff, so they turned to licorice because licorice is naturally sweet. You don't need licorice, uh, sugar to make to make licorice. And by the way, I should jump in at this point. Switzer sounds German, but it's it's funny, but it's really Irish. Huh. The family started. Yeah, I know it confuses people. It confuses me. But they they the family started in Germany, but in the 1700s they moved to Ireland. And they lived there for like a century or more. So when they came to America, they had a German name, but they were Irish. So the story is basically about two Irish-American families who intermarry and start this candy company. Isn't that something? Do you mind holding on after the break? We can talk more about the origins and, you know, the upbringing here in St. Louis as part of that. Would love, love it. To. All right. Love uh, Patrick Murphy joins us. He's the author of Candy Men, and you can go find that online, local bookstores, Amazon, places like that. We'll continue next on Overnight America KMOX. KMOX is St. Louis's news, talk, sports, radio. Talking candy, one of my favorite things. <laughs> Author Patrick Murphy, a new book called Candy Men is out. It's on the Switzer Candy Company, which you can uh, go check that book out today. Thanks for coming on, Patrick. I appreciate it. Oh, it's fun to talk about it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
Yeah, so what year officially did the factory open in St. Louis? Well, it, it, went, into, it, it went into its first building in 1886, which awesome. is a really long time ago. And that building was on First Street, but uh, right about right where the, it, where the middle of the uh, legs of the arch are right now. And then they were there uh, for, well, it started out as Murphy Switzer Candy Company. And this always interested me, and it's one of the reasons I wrote the book, was because I always grew up hearing all of these stories from the men in my family. Because, as I said, my dad worked there, his dad, and all of his brothers, and my great-grandfather. And I, I, I call the book Candy Men because when I was a kid, all of these men would always describe themselves proudly as, Candy men. We're candy men. Like with some, you know, sort of honorific title. Yeah. You know, they were they were really they were really proud of it. But uh, the, you know, the first factory was down there, uh, right between, you know, right about where the where the arches uh, where the arches right now. Yeah, you know, and, I just real uh, quick about that yeah. because when when you try to pinpoint some of these locations, I I've talked to other family businesses that have been in St. Louis forever, and they had locations down there, and I I love it when they say probably where the arch grounds are, and they always use the term probably because of that tornado that came in in the 1800s, and they say, man, when when things were leveled, they couldn't quite get the exact coordinates of where the building really was. They have a approximate an idea, but there was so much damage because of things like that. That uh, Was it hard for you to find history for a company that was around pre that, I forgot, was like the late 1800s uh, tornado yeah. that came through St. Well, Louis? It, it wasn't all that hard for, for, for several reasons. One is because... Uh, I heard all of these stories growing up. I heard all of these stories about where the factory was and, and, um, you know, uh, uh, pretty exact, you know, locations of where they were. And then I found this book of uh, the reason the riverfront there isn't there anymore is because in 19, between 1939 and 1942, they, they bulldozed the entire place to make a national park you know the, where the arch grounds is now but they just bulldozed like 500 buildings like 90 acres and all they left was like the uh, the old cathedral mm-hmm. and you know just a just a, and the courthouse that's about all they left so i found some old maps and i found this book that had actual pictures in in the late 30s they knew they were going to tear it down so somebody took photographs, like for the city, of every single building. So with just a little detective work, I could figure out where all these places were. Yeah, that is so cool. And that's nice that there are those certain things that are saved, and you can go back and look at it. And what a cool thing to say. Yeah, the building was right over here where the arch, you, uh, you know, is now. And uh, so many different local businesses that oh, were yeah. around in the 1800s that are around today. It's so cool to hear about these things. And it's amazing well, time, the different generations yeah. of the, the things they have to overcome over the years in order. Because it's so rare to find generations after generations that have been lasting for 100 and some years. It, it is a very rare thing. That's a family-owned business. Oh. Oh, yeah. And so when I was a kid, uh, we used to go down to the factory all the time because my dad worked there. And, you know, as I keep saying, my grandfather worked there. Everybody worked down there. So when we were kids, we would actually go down there and kind of wander around the factory. We knew everybody. And that whole area there, before it was nightclubs or anything, it was just, it wasn't McLeod's Landing, a place for tourists. It was just like a factory and warehouse district. So this factory was so cool because it was five stories high. It was like something out of the 19th century but with gears and conveyor belts and big machines and lots of noise. And for me, it was always kind of magical to go in there. And my brother and I, we go into 
the drying racks where they took the licorice before they packaged it and they kind of cooked it. And we go in there as kids and grab a handful of semi-cooked licorice, half-cooked licorice. You go up to the roof of the factory and eat it where the machinist shop was. And so, I mean, that's a St. Louis memory because when we look at over the south, they were actually building the arch back then. This was the Mm mid-60s. So I can't think of any more of a St. Louis memory than eating half-cooked switches licorice on the roof watching them build the arch. I mean, come on. You Does got it taste better? Story than that. I want yeah, to does hear it, it taste uh, better off the line? Does it add a little to it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just like like warm bread, you know? It's, it's just, you know, really good. And again, back then, it was mostly, you know, mostly black. And as you said earlier, people either love or hate black licorice. For a long time, it was really popular. And then back in the 1950s, they started introducing red. They call it licorice, but it's not really licorice because it doesn't have licorice, you know, in it. But it's like red candy sort of made like licorice. I remember my grandfather, he was kind of a purist. He said, uh, no, it's not licorice if it's red. You know, it's, you know nobody, else, nobody can eat red licorice. But it turned out to be even more popular than the black licorice. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're, so we're like not raising kind of kids a, that call that licorice. <laughs> yeah, right. These kids today, what do they know about licorice? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so did all your friends you know, try to get candy hookups from you growing up? Oh, it wasn't even a problem. I mean, you know, like we had so much licorice around our house. People would come over, my friends, and, you know, my dad would just give it to them. You know, here, have some licorice. Take some licorice. <laughs> Take some licorice home. I mean, it was, it was just kind of a, you know, a whole way of life. And, you know, there's something special about candy, too, and particularly now. I mean, you turn on the news, you know, and everything is like, you know, just, just like bad and sad and everybody's mad. And, and, and like, this is a story about licorice. It's a story about candy. Take a break, you know, get some switches licorice and read the book, <laughs> you know. Let's just take a little break because candy is one of those things in people's lives that uh, it's one of your earliest, happiest memories when you're a kid. You know, mm-hmm. your your mom and dad give you a quarter and send you down to, you know, spend some money on, on, on candy. So it's one of your first consumer decisions. You know, it's oh. sweet tasting, mm-hmm. pleasant memories. And it's also something that's more fun to share than it is to do by yourself. So there's something about candy that everybody responds to. Oh, that's interesting. It's one of your first consumer decisions. That's actually uh, very well said. But Halloween around the corner, what do you guys give out at the house? <laughs> I don't know what we're doing this year. I don't know how many goblins <laughs> are going to be coming to the door. But, uh, well, switches licorice for one, you know. <laughs> You're handing uh, out licorice, all right. How could I say anything else that switches licorice? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't you know, know if they had individuals that, you know, small sizes that you can drop in or not. No, they have more more like like packs. So maybe we're going to give yeah. be actually giving away some tiny little three musketeers. But, but well, that would uh, be something, you know. So you, there's the houses that give the full size candy bars. You can be the house that gives the full size Switzer bags the full, of the, licorice. The, the full <laughs> the full size licorice. You're, you know, another interesting part of this story is in the in the late 1960s. Actually, it was 1966. It was this family company for three generations. There were three generations of Murphys and three generations of Switzers working at this candy company. And then they sold it to a corporation in, in 1966. And that's, you know, that, that was the time kind of when smaller companies, family companies were starting to sell to big corporations. 
Well, they bought it, and then they sold it to another corporation, and then they sold it to another corporation, and it ended up being owned by Hershey's. And they had a licorice product, Twizzlers. So they killed the Switzer line, and it disappeared. No Switzer's licorice on the entire planet Earth. And then this is, uh, you know, in the 1990s. And then a few years later, the factory blew down. So there's no trace of the, of, of the Switzer's factory, no trace of Switzer's candy. And yet, the last chapter to this book, because as it turned out, and this is kind of a cool story, but uh, and you can read about it in the book, <laughs> but the summary is the grandson of the founder, Fred Switzer, actually started the company again. And you can get Switzer's licorice now. I mean, just about anywhere. So yeah, I was it, looking online. It went nothing. A... Yeah, it, uh, went, it went, huh? Is what? Yeah, I was looking online. Dollar Tree, Cracker Barrel, Schnooks, uh, Deerbergs, exactly. a couple different places. Yeah. So it, it kind of, you know, went extinct and then came back again, which is kind of cool. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah, you're right. That really doesn't. Uh, do you mind holding on after the break? We can talk some more candy. No, sure. Yeah, yeah we'll continue with local author uh, Patrick Murphy, and the book is called Candyman, the story of Switzer's licorice. You can find that online, local bookstores. It's Overnight America, KMOX. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this is kevin wheeler stay tuned this week as we look at five key storylines that will impact the upcoming cardinals offseason from veterans hitting free agency to the search for more offensive production we'll have it all right here on your home for the cardinals kmox So the book you can find online, Candy Men, it just came out this month. Local author Patrick Murphy joins us. Thanks again for uh, hanging out with us on Overnight America. Thank you. And and if you're interested in the book, uh, it's at bookstores, it's at Amazon, it's all the usual places. Or another really easy way to order the book is just to go to the website, candymenthebook.com. 
and the candy elves will send you on overnight. Well, it won't get to you overnight, elves. but it'll go out overnight. <laughs> yeah. 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 So our, did you pay your kids in licorice? Here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, did, did you um, pay your kids in licorice growing up with chores and things like that? <laughs> I should have. That was probably probably would have been a probably would have been a, a good idea. It's amazing how much family uh, from all over the country. Uh, has been getting in contact with me, cousins and Switzers and Murphys, who I haven't seen in decades, are, are reading the book and, and uh, comparing notes and saying, hey, I've got a bunch of old photos you might want to see. And uh, it's funny how how even though families are, are separated, and the Switzers and the Murphys, after all these years, all of the family stories are pretty much in sync. And that's, that's kind of strange, uh, that stories told over and over you know, to fathers and sons and daughters, and that, that after all this time, you know, they're all pretty much the same. Ah, yeah. Are there any big fish stories in the family where things get exaggerated that, you know, it's nice and fun to listen to, but you're like, I don't remember it that way. <laughs> what, in an Irish family? Exaggeration? <laughs> what? No, no, not us. You know, it's funny though. Some of these stories that I that I would I would hear like my great uncle tell. You know, and and uh, he grew up in Cary Patch. You know, and he, he lived long enough that I got to know him as a kid. And he grew up in Cary Patch. He worked at the factory, like you know, like in the before the First World War. And uh, you know, he told all of these stories. And then I would check the stories, and I would go like to newspapers dot com or go to Missouri Historical Society. So did this really happen? And sure enough, you know, like it. The old guy wasn't kidding. It was really true. I wonder, in general, you talked about family owning the company up until the 60s and some changeovers, things like that. And then now, was it the grandson or great-grandson that has revived the brand name here and has started to make the candy yet again? Um, Does it taste the the same to you when you tried the new one? Mike Switzer. Pardon me? Does it taste the same? Yeah, it tastes... Well... Yeah, they have a black licorice, which tastes very much like the black licorice, but they, because tastes are always changing, you know, public tastes. And, and uh, you know, like back during World War II, people weren't really looking for cherry cola flavored licorice or lemonade flavored licorice. Or, so they've come up with a whole lot of new innovative flavors for like a 21st century, you know, consumer. So a lot of the flavors are just really different and, you know, kind of innovative. But um, it's a slightly different process that they make it, but it's, you know, particularly with the black, you know, uh, the same ingredients. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very much the same, but even back then they were experimenting with different, you know, kinds of things to, you know, keep the public interested. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think about the equipment they probably used to put this together back in the old factory. It probably weighs as much as the arch weighs <laughs> right about now. That stuff was made uh, very well. And you, you think about the processing and, and the way things have changed over the years and how things become a little bit different because just, you know, technological advances. And, um, you know, I, I always wonder about how that affects the taste because if you were to revive it, I think people have memories of it growing up as a kid. And, you know, they, they want to be able to relive that, the taste that they had when they were younger and uh it's got to be somewhat authentic to it it's kind of cool that the the name brands out there so do you know if the uh did they have to purchase that back from hershey's or how did they get the naming rights back yeah that was that was kind of interesting and i want to talk about that process too because it was quite a process back in, in the old days 
Yeah, there's there's a rule, a law, basically. It's called the Langham Act. And if a company owns a particular brand and they don't and they don't ever do anything with it, they don't you know create a product with it and they just sit on it. That after a certain amount of years, I think it's seven years, but whatever it is, uh, that it becomes up for grabs again. I mean, it's it's uh, other companies can buy it or use it. It becomes like the public domain. And Switzer's hadn't been made in over 10 years by Hershey's. And so, um, you know, Mike and his partner, Dan Warner, uh, they, uh, they, you know, got a patent attorney and uh, they got the brand back and they even talked to Hershey's about it and Hershey's was cool with it. And uh, they went through the, you know, the legal process of, of, of getting the brand and bringing it, bringing it back to life again. And Mike Switzer, uh, who's an ad guy in St. Louis, he had his own advertising agency in, in, in St. Louis for, for many years. He just liked the idea, not just because it was his family, but because it was what they call a legacy brand, an historic brand. That uh, he just wanted to, you know, bring it bring it back to life. And uh, he says that now when he makes decisions at the company, he keeps on thinking, I wonder if my grandfather dealt with this. I wonder what he would have done, you know, at the time. <laughs> but you mentioned the old process. I remember as a kid, it was a five-story building, and down in the basement, they had these giant copper kettles, and they would pour licorice extract and all of these you know, all, all of these syrup and, and all of these different things in there and basically cook kind of a witch's brew down there. And they would cook it for like, you know, a day. And then they'd pour it into these slabs and let it cool for about two days. And then they'd take it up to the fifth floor and extrude it down through the building and cut it into little pieces and dry it and wrap it. It took like four days for them to make a batch of licorice. And when Beatrice Foods bought it, the company that bought it back in the 1960s, they took the process down from four days to 20 minutes to take licorice, mm. to make licorice. And the public really did notice the difference. You, know, you, you can't shorten a, a, a creative process like that for food that much without people noticing the difference. But since then, the technology and the techniques have gotten to the point where, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's just practically the same as it as it was that's cool do you have any old signage somewhere that you're able to hold on to yeah i i i, I do and uh the uh, uh dan and mike who have have the company now uh every time they see anything like on ebay or in an old antique store or something that says switzers uh you know they buy it they get it so they've got old boxes and old ads and you know old promotional uh, displays and things like that. Then they've given me a couple of ones as, as I was writing the book. So, yeah, I've, I've got a, uh, uh, a a few little items like that. You know, just kind of a little chashki that you know companies make and and, and put out. But yeah. um, that is yeah. so cool. You know, I like the process of them putting it out in the candy, and I just think about you when you're younger not allowing it to go a couple of days before you snuck a bite in <laughs> and then you'd rush up to the the roof of the factory to go eat a little bit of that. I mean that's that's um every kid's dream yeah. it seems like to have that sort of access. <laughs> well you know the uh the the uh the stuff is still kind of addictive like like uh for for book signings and things they've been you know giving me uh 
uh, bags of licorice to give away with, with, with the books. And I finally had to take it and put it in my car because if it was sitting on the kitchen sink, I'd open it up and I'd go through a whole bag, like just all at once. So, oh, uh, yeah, it, it, you, it is kind of, it's hard to just eat one or two little strings, you know, of, of, of licorice. I just, you know, just kind of inhale the whole thing. It's, uh, yeah. It's, well, there was that, um, uh, movie in the nineties, Wayne's world where Garth had the red vine in his car <laughs> and he kind of like had it just coiled up on the roof of his car and you pull a little and he had a little cutter on it cause he would eat the stuff yeah. so much. I could imagine something like that would come in handy after a while too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, just kind of getting back to the book, it's 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 uh, it, it's got a lot of interesting themes that that that, that I, I I sort of enjoyed as I was writing it. I mean, it's a good American dream story too. You know, immigrants coming over, living in poverty, building the American dream on a foundation of candy. Uh, you know, there's there's that angle. You know, coming up because back then, at the turn of the century. In St. Louis and most other cities, the Irish were really looked down on. You know, there were signs in factories and stores saying Irish need not apply. And everybody was freaked out by all these Irish Catholics coming to, to, uh, to America. They were going to completely change, completely ruin the place. If you look in newspapers of that era, there are actually editorial cartoons where they draw the Irish looking like monkeys. So... You know, they, they had a lot to push back on to be able to try to succeed. And for this family, the Switches and the Murphys, that was their way of, like, getting the American dream. It was their way of becoming Americans. So, you know, there's that angle. Then there's, there's the angle of so many people remember the building along the East Bridge. And they remember that smell along the riverfront. And then there's just a lot of people who remember the candy. And I get so many emails now from people now that the book is out, like, yeah, my dad was the cop on the beat down on First Street, and they used to toss licorice at him out the window. And just all these <laughs> wonderful stories. So Swiss's licorice, in a way, is one of those things that, that a lot of St. Louisans share. And we're always looking for things to share. You know, it's part of being a St. Louisan. You know, I wish the riverfront still smelled like that because there's been some bad days on the riverfront where it could be nice to have that odor uh, neutralized by some candy. Do you mind holding on one more break? No, no. Love to. Uh, local author, the book out now called Candy Men, which you can find that documents the Switzer Candy Company in many different ways. Patrick Murphy will continue next on Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. And if you wanted to check out this book, you can go to CandyMenTheBook.com. It's by local author Patrick Murphy. It's called Candy Men. It's on the Switzer Candy Company. Hey, thanks for spending the time with us tonight on Overnight America. This has been fun, Ryan. Thank you. I appreciate it. We talk candy. It's always fun. But I I wonder, too, in, in a world today where everything is just so nationalized, globalized or whatever, you start to see a resurgence of small companies that have notoriety regionally, and people flock to them. They prefer and they want to patronize and support the local companies. So do you think there's room in the future for small candy companies, the, the future Switzers out there? I absolutely, I absolutely do. In fact, there are a couple of other small candy enterprises uh, that have uh, started up here in St. Louis, uh, you know, re- re- within the last few years. 
uh, people who have, you know, bought some candy making equipment and are making candy and, and sort of aiming for something local and then, and then building on top of that. One of the things that I learned uh, in the course of writing Candyman was that St. Louis has always been, at least since the late 19th century, a major candy center. Um, in fact, you know, uh, Vincent Price, the, the horror movie star, mm-hmm. his father had a major candy company here in, in St. Louis uh, uh, with national outreach. And Mavrakos started here in St. Louis, a, a Greek family. And there's just a lot of examples of there were like 100 candy companies at the turn of the century, 1900 here in here in St. Louis. So uh, it was pretty competitive. Uh, the Switzer Candy Company uh, coming up. It was a lot of competition. It was it was tough. That is cool. And I love hearing about those things. And I like going on the different websites or maybe looking at articles. The STL Mag did a great one where they show, it looks like, delivery by horse and buggy, which is kind of cool. Um, I love seeing stories like that, pictures of St. Louis uh, downtown and the way it used to look. I'm curious, have you been to the Arch lately where you've seen the uh, Arch grounds and the new museum after they opened it? Yeah, that's pretty amazing. That's 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 a, a huge improvement. Makes it a lot more accessible, you know, to to the rest of the city. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, the the part in particular I'm asking is if you saw because they have a model of what the area used to look like, and they have all the old buildings. I'm curious if you scoped it out and you can kind of pinpoint where the factory was on that model. Yes, yeah, I, I have. Uh, there's also a, a, an old book uh, called Compton and, and Dry. It, it was. It came out in 1875, and it's like an aerial view of every square block in the year 1874 of St. Louis. They even have like little trees and little people and little horses. It's a big fat book, and you can actually see what something looked like in 1875 and compare it to the way it looks now. And yet, yeah, you can see the the different factories that that, that Switzer's was located in. And in fact, uh, one of the fun things was putting the photographs. You mentioned old pictures. There are almost a hundred photographs in this book. Many of them Switzer family uh, uh, photos, Murphy family photos a lot from the Missouri Historical Society and, and, and the papers, and a lot of photos that I had never never seen before of the old streets in you know, St. Louis and the way the riverfront used to look. And I always get a kick out of seeing what something familiar to us now looked like way back before you know, we, we, we were born. I just, I just get a kick out of that. I think a lot of, a lot of people do. That is great. So the website, again, um, people can find it at local bookstores. They can find it on different, uh, but yeah. really, you have your own site. People can check it out. It's candymenthebook.com. That's not always a good one. Candy, one word, candymenthebook.com. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty fast, uh, easy way, uh, you know, to get as many books as you would like. <laughs> so, hey, you know, with, uh, with Halloween coming up, why not a candy book? Christmas coming up, you know, perfect little gift. So, uh Oh, there I am plugging my book unashamedly. I'm sorry, Ryan. Well, I get it. Well, if anything, um, it's <laughs> nice to buy it online, but it, you just gave a tip to most listeners here that if they wait until there's a book signing that you'll have licorice on you, and maybe it's better for them to do that. <laughs> Could be a part of it. Yeah, that, that way I get to meet you and hear your, hear your Switzer stories. Yes, that's oh, fun, that's great. too. Patrick Murphy, I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for coming on to Overnight hey. America tonight. Thank you, Ryan. I really appreciate it. This was fun. Very good. Yeah, local author, new book out, Candyman. You can go find that now with Patrick Murphy. He joins us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. I'm always up for talking candy. I'm a candy fan, and seeing that Halloween is next week, 
I don't know what's going to happen. My wife and I, we were talking about, do we go out? Do we leave candy out? Are people going to trick or treat? I don't know. I don't know if anyone knows the answer. Has there been guidelines put out? Or is it just a free-for-all? Anyone does what they want? Yeah, I mentioned this earlier. And If you like the old history of KMOX, we will be rebroadcasting certain segments from multiple years of Jim White's Halloween Spooktacular. I was listening to 1972's Halloween Spooktacular last night. And at the very end of the show, I love it how he says, I know some of the callers were pulling our leg tonight with these stories, but that's kind of the fun of it. So I think that Jim White just enjoyed it for the sake of enjoying it. Like a lot of people enjoy things that they just, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you just find yourself enjoying something, even though you don't let it consume you or whatever. And I heard John McCormick at the end of that show mention a few things, too, which was super cool. We're going to actually air a three-hour special of Jim White's Halloween Spooktacular next Thursday. So that's the Thursday leading into Halloween. And then our program director said, hey, uh, we'll replay it on Saturday night for Halloween, too, which is super cool that we'll be able to do that. And I got to thank uh, our listener, John, who messaged me and had these archived and saved. It's been an awesome, awesome thing. All right, so coming up right after the break, we'll take a look at your news. And then we're going to bring on Brock Pierce. He's a former child actor. He's into cryptocurrencies. He's got some money, apparently, through cryptocurrencies and investing in tech. And he wants you to vote for him for president of the United States. What's his platform? I always wonder about the candidates that, you know, they're not mainstream, but they run for president. Why? Why? So I think we'll have a good conversation next on what he would like to see on Overnight America KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 